This is Total Retail Tech Insights. The content retail executives need to optimize their use of technology throughout their organizations. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Total Retail Tech Insights. I'm Joe Keenan, Editor-in-Chief of Total Retail, and I am joined on today's show by Scott Stone, the Vice President of Business Development at SIF. Thanks for joining me today, Scott. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be here. Great to meet you. Yeah. So um, to get us started, why don't you tell our audience a little bit about Chargeback uh, and how it can help retailers? I mentioned Chargeback because um, SIFT recently acquired Chargeback. So tell us a little bit about that acquisition and uh, how the acquisition can help bolster uh, SIFT's overall offerings. Uh, definitely. So SIFT is a fraud platform, machine learning platform that detects user behaviors, uh, tracks thousands of different events on the front end of an e-commerce transaction, preventing uh, true fraud. So people trying to use stolen credit cards, uh, doing scam and phishing attacks. There's a lot of use cases for SIFT, but they all do center around fraud prevention. And on the back end of that, there is an entirely other ecosystem of managing uh, cases of fraud that have taken place. And it's not necessarily that the front end tool didn't, didn't catch it. Uh, it's that on the back end, there's uh, accidental cases of fraud committed by, by users. Chargeback was purpose-built to manage the back end. And the acquisition from SIF's perspective was an extension of its suite of solutions for merchants uh, and their other users to really provide an end-to-end -end service. Everything that they do on the front end, as well as managing the back end. And then there are some synergies that, that came out of that. It all started with a partnership uh, years ago and, and has grown in, into this new relationship. Yeah, that's uh, it's really exciting. Uh, and as you mentioned, this new relationship. Um, tell me a little bit then specifically about your role, um, Scott. How has it maybe have changed a little bit or or possibly it's still the same um, following the acquisition earlier this year. Well, you know, SIFT is a significantly larger company than Chargeback. Uh, and uh, I joined Chargeback five and a half years ago um, to pivot the company from its, from its former self. Chargeback was founded as a uh, business process uh, outsourcing model. So we, the company would take, this dispute and chargeback management work that merchants have to do, they would take it on and do it themselves. And there was significantly more people at the company, but the, the goal was, was to pivot it. Uh, and my role at that time with joining was really just framing out the pivot and, and setting a new go-to-market strategy for the company. Um, I worked very closely on the product with the engineering teams, uh, established the marketing team and uh, there was a heavy operation team, uh, but I, I, this, this was my initial role. I moved over to strictly do marketing and sales um, as we launched the product and went to market and, and iterated on, on how we would uh, present it and position it. It, uh, it was brand new in the space at the time. The idea of using what we decided to do, which was a SaaS-based platform instead of an outsource approach, uh, was net new in the industry. And so uh, we, we had a lot to learn on messaging and, and positioning and uh, empowering internal teams. 
but 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 ultimately uh, my role shifted from strictly marketing into strategy when the acquisition took place i was the chief strategy officer of chargeback uh, focused predominantly on strategic partnerships um, and and uh, just more of a high level uh, input on on product and sales and operations at sift um, i'll be doubling down on the partnerships front focusing exclusively on those strategic relationships our partnership ecosystem um, and 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 that's what uh, what i'll be doing moving forward so that's a great overview so let's kind of dive into the topic of chargeback and fraud um, so you mentioned that there are different types of chargebacks. Um, tell us a little bit about what you're currently seeing in the retail market uh, when it comes to chargebacks. Well, most chargebacks are related to fraud. Um, there's really four main categories of chargebacks. You have fraud, which often represents 70% of, of a merchant's overall chargebacks, but that depends on the nature of their business. If they're a subscription business, it might not be as high. Um, if they're a, a luxury good, it might be significantly higher. Uh, but then there's another large bucket called consumer disputes. They're not fraud disputes, but they're uh, very common terms like not as described, not received. Um, you know, they're, perhaps the audience would benefit briefly from just a definition of, of chargebacks yeah, that might be. As, a, as a baseline. There's a really important underlying uh, feature of a credit card. And this is created by Visa and MasterCard, and you know, adopted by uh, by all card issuers. And it's it's the ability to have uh, liability protection for when your card's compromised. Um, in other words, as a consumer, if I freely use my card online or in stores or anywhere, and the merchant either writes down the number and uses it maliciously or doesn't protect or store the data in a secure environment and it gets leaked, I'll be protected from purchases I didn't authorize or make. Uh, without that guarantee, its adoption would have been very difficult over the last you know, number of decades. Your willingness to stick your card number in any form online, interact with a merchant that you've never worked with. Uh, really, the underpinning of that confidence and that security is the fact that the networks guarantee that if something bad happens, you'll be taken care of. And that goes beyond just fraud and third parties compromising cards and using them maliciously. Also, if the merchants are, are sort of fraudulent or disingenuous with their behavior. We have this whole world of consumer disputes, which in summary is, I interacted with a merchant and I agreed to buy something. We had a contract and they didn't fulfill it. It could be because the uh, goods were, uh, you know, less than satisfactory. Maybe you agreed to buy a silk dress and you got a, you know, plastic polyester one. There's, there's a lot of different uh, scenarios that could take place. Uh, but there's protection there and that's the point of it uh, and then there's rules there's a couple other categories that have to do with just the processing of transactions as well as obtaining authorization to use a card uh, and and there's so many uh, different rules associated with the networks 
they have hundreds of pages dedicated uh, to, to accepting and processing credit cards and equal number of pages in their rules and regulations dedicated to this chargeback process. Um, and, and under the processing errors uh, and, the, and the authorization issues, you have a significantly less number of disputes that we see from a merchant perspective, uh, but nonetheless are required to handle. Uh, so so having, having an understanding of, of all four buckets is important, uh, but without a doubt, the largest is fraud for sure. So within the, the kind of retail landscape, particularly within the last year plus, um, obviously more digital transactions, uh, more digital payments, uh, has that correlated to uh, increases in chargebacks, I would imagine, and uh, to your point with the, the vast majority of them being fraud? Absolutely. The rise in e-commerce transactions uh, has resulted in a significant increase in the number of chargebacks. Uh, just a few years ago, the mix was something around you know, 90% in-store, what we call card present transactions, and 10% uh, digital or card not present transactions. Card not present can include telephone orders, uh, which was very common years and years ago. Uh, but you know it's more commonly mobile apps and websites and uh, but but under underneath that is a chargeback rate and they're very different between those two environments in the retail environment uh, where you had magnetic stripes and then now we have emv uh, and and that's was hard to replicate it got very easy for fraudsters with emv it's significantly more difficult to replicate though it is possible uh, you would end up with you know, fraud chargeback rates and just chargeback rates in general in a retail environment of around one to three basis points for a merchant. And uh, on the flip side with e-commerce, that number is easily 10 to 20 times higher. And so this has pretty serious implications when you have an acceleration like you did over the last 18 months in e-commerce. Uh, we went from, you know, right around 15% uh, e-commerce, you know, sort of transaction volume as it related to retail um, up to 50% very quickly. Uh, the majority of transactions were being made in a digital environment. The reason why it's, it, it has such a higher chargeback rate is because it's easier to, it's one, it's easier to use stolen credentials in the e-commerce environment, in the digital environment. And there's also no liability or guarantee protection for a merchant uh, like there is with uh, EMV. I mean, I, I take that back. There, there is mechanisms. There's uh, a digital version of EMV called 3DS, but uh, adoption and usage of it isn't as commonplace uh, as, as EMV is in retail. But ultimately what you have, uh, and the math is, is interesting, is you have a majority of transactions coming out of retail, uh, but you have the majority of disputes and dispute dollars taking place in e-commerce, even though it only represented a fraction of the overall transaction volume. That 15% that transaction volume share actually contributed 
75% of the dispute volume share. It was very, it was, it was very lopsided. And with yeah. COVID and with the acceleration of e-com, it, it, it blew up tremendously. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. And that continued that 15%, you know, there's, there's no signs that that number is going to, is going to stop there. It's going to continue to rise. So you would expect that uh, those broad um, chargebacks would accelerate as well. Um, so it really speaks to the, to the, import, the increasing importance of this topic. So one of the particular types of fraud I wanted to address with you, Scott, is friendly fraud and how that may pertain to chargebacks. Um, and then kind of a second part to that is that are there friendly fraud reason codes that's often talked about? Do you want to address that? Yeah, I'd love to. It's, a, it's unfortunately a common misconception. Uh, there, there are no friendly fraud reason codes, but we should, we should define friendly fraud um, quickly. Uh, when, when we're talking about chargebacks, there's obviously many, many forms of fraud. But when we're talking about fraudulent use of credit cards, uh, the most common scenario is a third party using it, uh, whether they've purchased uh, a compromised uh, set of cards or they've just picked it from a single wallet from a single person. The usage of that card is by a third party. Uh, and that is fraud. That is, that is true credit card fraud. Then there's another version, which is first party fraud. And that would be you, Joe, uh, committing fraud as the purchaser using your own credit card. And how that works is you can right now call your credit card issuer or your bank and let them know that you didn't make one of those purchases you made recently, up to six months ago. So if you're having a little bit of buyer's remorse, say on a large purchase that really hasn't met your expectations, it's not eligible for a return anymore. You've been using it, even though you're not really satisfied with it. You can commit fraud by calling the bank and saying, I never bought that. I'm just seeing this now. I don't know what this is. And you're, you're the person committing fraud. That is you know, the definition of friendly fraud. It's maybe not the greatest term because uh, it's not real friendly. <laughs> but there is a there is a friendly version of it, and I'm I'm happy to use the term friendly fraud when it's a pure accident. Now, if you were to make that same phone call to your bank and you genuinely didn't remember the purchase because you forgot, maybe you did buy it, but then uh, shortly after receiving it, or 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 maybe someone else in your house actually accepted the package and then set it off to the side, and someone threw a code on it and. That was that month went by and nobody even knows it's sitting there in the, in the foyer and you accidentally file a chargeback. I'm happy to call that friendly fraud. You are committing first party fraud in that scenario, but there's no malicious intent behind your actions. It's the, it's the former uh, that is, you know, really another form of, of fraud and that's chargeback fraud. Uh, you know, the fraudulent use of your chargeback rights to defraud a merchant. Yeah, and to your point, um, kind of a misnomer there, from particularly from the merchant's perspective, there's nothing friendly about that. So uh, a, a good point you raise. Um, so as we're having this conversation, uh, we're, we're right in the middle or almost really closing in on the end of the back to school shopping. Well, not the end, we still have another month or so left. Um, but the back to school shopping season, one of the busiest times of the year for retailers and merchants. Um, so my question is, do you foresee increased levels of fraud, uh, chargeback fraud, particularly friendly fraud during this time? And how might that manifest itself? I do. Yeah, there's, 
a couple of things at play during back to school. One is just a common math problem. Whenever you have an acceleration in volume, which is a great thing, uh, this is a, a great time to do sales. It's a great time to have a lot of traffic, have a lot of hits on the site. Uh, but because chargebacks are a percentage of your overall transaction volume, as your volume goes up, so does your quantity of chargebacks. So you're going to have a bigger amount to deal with during this time, not necessarily during the time, uh, you know, in August and early September, you're going to see the transaction volume grow. Uh, but then the lag behind that is the chargeback influx. So on the heels of that in, in October, you have a big spike in chargebacks and that's related to volume. The other thing at play, which we saw a ton of in COVID um, is the willingness to commit fraud, this form of, of chargeback fraud or, or friendly fraud um, because of uh, you know, financial stress. Uh, there's very common stress during back to school time to you know, get your kids dialed in, to spend beyond your means a bit. Um, and and while, while some consumers can afford to do that, not everyone can, and it can lead to uh, knowingly filing chargebacks against purchases that you probably shouldn't have made. And there's a spike that results from that. It's unfortunate, but uh, it is, is very much a reality. It happened a lot on the onset of COVID. People lost their jobs. They had to continue to make payments. Um, and, it, you know, for people that knew and understood, they could call the bank and file a chargeback. There was an uptick in it and uh, it makes sense why, uh, but it is unfortunate. Yeah. So right on the heels of back to school will be kind of the, the start of the Q4 holiday shopping season. Um, there's probably, you know, like you were just saying, we'll probably see a spike in friendly fraud over that time period as well in that kind of shopping event. Um, so my question for you, Scott, is with that in mind, what are some of the things that merchants can do to avoid um, that friendly fraud and other types of chargeback fraud? And, and how can sell, uh, SIFT help with those efforts? You're right. Uh, very, very much similar situation. Uh, it's often called, you know, the chargeback season really starts in earnest uh, mid-December and, and goes through January and February. There's a tremendous spike corollary to volume, uh, but also, you know, can, can be tied to living beyond your means, making a lot of purchases and not, not remembering all of them. There's a lot of things that feed into the increase in chargebacks. And SIF does, first and foremost, a tremendous amount of automation. The, the, these are technology platforms that have been joined together to automate uh, sussing out fraud on the front end, which prevents chargebacks, genuine chargebacks, true fraud chargebacks from ever materializing, as well as deep vetting of, of, of uh, interactions that a customer is doing on the website. Um, and so when you have a case of, of friendly fraud or chargeback fraud, taking that information uh, that you used to approve their order and providing it to your issuer programmatically to the merchant, to the uh, cardholders uh, issuing bank or, or the card issuer uh, is, is a pure automation opportunity. And that's what SIFT is, is delivering to its merchants. Uh, and that is a lot better than 
hiring temp workers, scaling up chargeback management teams, um, you know, paying extra per dispute fees to various BPO vendors, which, you know, chargeback used to be when I first joined. And I, I know how that works firsthand. So you can really manage the cost and be operationally efficient. The caveat is though, it's all about planning and preparation. You can't enter the chargeback season, January, February, uh, and call SIFT. Yeah. You know, you, you, you won't be, it won't be implemented. It won't be the data, the plumbing won't be configured. The data won't be flowing and the automation won't take place in that environment. So, you know, now is the time and, and I often the holiday freeze for merchants is a fantastic time to implement SIFT. Um, SIF dispute management specifically, because it doesn't sit in front of checkout. It, it presents no friction to the checkout process or the buying experience of a consumer. It's all backend data. You know, what did, what did they do? Where was it sent to? When did they log in? Have they used it? Did they download it? What are their touch points? It's all post-transaction data. Uh, that you need to aggregate and automate back to the issuers. And so um, you can, you have, you know, through the holidays to get it up and running, but you really want to have it done. And again, the caveat is, is you've got to be ready to go come January. Uh, and in this case with back to school, you know, we're, we're right in that time where you really should have had it up and running because um, you're going to have to deal with these back to school chargebacks in earnest over the next month at this point. Yeah. And then to your point, there, there's really, uh, which is always a concern of retailers, uh, there's no real impediment to the customer experience. To your point, this is kind of in the behind the scenes, this is uh, post-transactional, so it's not impacting the, uh, the, the purchase journey there at, at, the, at checkout. Correct, yep. yep. So let's talk about kind of any outside spikes in volume, in, in purchase volume. Uh, is friendly fraud always going to be a problem in those instances? Yeah, friendly fraud is part of doing business. Um, you cannot predict when someone's going to forget that they made a purchase. That's, that's a no-brainer, right? But you also can't predict whether or not they're going to have some malicious intent or try to defraud you through the chargeback system. You know, you really have to, is it their card? Are they, are they a first party user? And if so, you need to allow them to buy. It's all about order acceptance. First and foremost is order acceptance. You want that as high as possible. You wanna accept 100% of the people trying to transact with you. But then you got to walk that back a little bit because you know that 100% are not legitimate. So you, you gotta be, you know, laser, precision uh, with the with those that are not. There's a, a problem in the industry, which is called, we call false positives, which is when you positively identify a good user as a fraudster and you don't let them transact. It's a big problem in the industry. And <clears throat> denying good customers has a cascading effect. Obviously you lose the lifetime value when you block them, you send them somewhere else. Um, you lose any referrals they might provide. Uh, and, and, you know, it's, it's a, it's a major issue to not accept money, but it has, uh, it goes beyond just not accepting that one order. Reducing false positives is, is very important. 
what SIF does with machine learning is constantly iterate on uh, the users it is approving and the users it is denying. One of the critical components to that data set is whether or not someone filed a chargeback, but more importantly, whether or not the person that filed that chargeback did it because of true fraud or did it because of friendly fraud. Another mistake that's happening in the marketplace right now is MLs being fed just raw fraud chargeback data without any delineation between whether or not it was true fraud or friendly fraud. And there's another cascading problem there. When you feed the friendly fraud back into the machine, uh, it then is being told to model off of these first party users. And that over time can increase false positives, okay. uh, which is a step in the wrong direction. You want to always be accepting more orders. You want to be pushing that number towards 100% constantly. So getting the data back into the ML that is more ground truth, more definitive, this is true fraud versus this is a clear case of friendly fraud, uh, is very par powerful to those acceptance rates. And making sure you're only blocking bad users and not blocking any good customers. With that said, there's always gonna be people who forget or are malicious, they're first party users. You wanna let the first party users through. And if they do file a chargeback, which they have the right to do, and there can be, again, you know, financial concerns, there can be a lot of things at play here. Um, you want to provide a solid case back through the networks to the issuer. It, it almost becomes like a little mini court battle. You build a case, you send it back in and the issuer reviews it and either awards that customer their money back, which they've actually already done, they let them keep it, or they reverse it and give it back to the merchant, which is what you're going for in those cases of a friendly fraud. You wanna show the issuer that, hey, they did actually make that purchase. Uh, they may have forgotten it or they may be uh, you know, malicious with their intent, but they absolutely made it, it was them. Uh, and the issuers wanna know that information too. It's good for them. Yeah. So for for this question, Scott, let's let's take the consumer out of the equation if it's possible to do that in this conversation. But and just focus in on the retailer's perspective for a second. Why, from the retailer's perspective, why not just get rid of chargebacks altogether? You know, talk to kind of what the potential value that chargebacks can offer retailers and merchants. Well, it's a common goal. I want to have zero chargebacks and it's that concept has has matured a lot in its understanding just a few years ago uh, you would hear companies talking about zero chargebacks and you know not getting any chargebacks and you have companies guaranteeing no fraud chargebacks and paying you back when you do get them the problem with that is circles back to what we were just talking about you're going to have to block some good users to prevent 100% of chargebacks. Now, that's a bad thing in and of itself. But if you go even a step further and try and make an argument that the networks themselves, Visa, MasterCard, American Express, et cetera, should remove the chargeback process or the chargeback rights, then you're going to have a lot less comfort transacting online and in these digital channels. And that's going to be horrible for business way beyond just trying to not get chargebacks. There's, there really is a tremendous benefit 
and reason why this chargeback ecosystem, these, these rights even exist. And as a merchant, you want that in place. You want good cardholders uh, to be able to uh, have a backup plan if, if something goes wrong, not because you wanna to have to deal with it when something goes wrong, that's obviously gonna be tough on your business, but you want them to transact and you want them to feel comfortable transacting knowing that they're protected. And that's more important for your business. So do I think chargebacks will go away or is there some sort of silver bullet where they're removed from the ecosystem? Absolutely not. Uh, I think a payment network that doesn't have a chargeback mechanism is set up to fail. And to your point in, in this particularly digital world, um, you know, that trust and, and comfort level of the consumer is going to be paramount um, and critical to the success of any uh, retail business going forward. Yeah. So uh, this has been a really great conversation. I want to take the opportunity uh, before we wrap up, Scott, for those in the audience that uh, are interested in learning more about this topic as well as um, how SIFT might be able to help their businesses, uh, where would you direct them? I would just direct them to SIFT.com. Head over to the website and there's a fantastic uh, blog. Um, you know, one of the founders and the CEO contributes tremendous thought leadership to it. Uh, the, the team itself is constantly doing research. SIFT is on a mission to help everyone trust the internet. Uh, and, and through that, they're constantly researching ways, not just to minimize fraud, but to detect it earlier and earlier and reduce friction for good buyers and dynamically introduce friction for bad, for bad behavior. And, and there's, there's a tremendous amount to just read about. And then there's a whole team of people available to chat with. SIFT actually has a dedicated team called the Trust and Safety Architects that are just consulting all day long with clients, prospects, customers, um, you know, industry partners, you name it, industry thought leaders. Uh, former, uh, you know, Kevin Lee on our team uh, led the, the Trust and Safety team, which is the, the team that manages fraud uh, in, in uh at Google and Facebook. And he has a team of just exceptional experts that are, that are available for folks to learn from and, and lean on to be better, uh, to improve their unique situations uh, in, in their environments, regardless of their industry or, or the, the attacks that they're facing or the threats they're facing. So I would just, you know, honestly go to SIF.com and start a conversation or relationship. Um, there's a tremendous amount of people that can help you. Yeah, that's some great information on how SIFT really can be a resource for our audience. So I want to take the opportunity to thank Scott Stone, again, the Vice President of Business Development at SIFT, for joining us on today's episode of Total Retail Tech Insights. Thank you, Scott. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information on this podcast, please check out our podcast channel page at mytotalretail.com slash podcasts for show notes. Tech Insights is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Make sure to subscribe on our podcast channel page as well. If you've enjoyed this episode, please take a few moments to rate and review this podcast. 
Thanks. And until next time, this has been Total Retail Tech Insights.